0: welcome back to the hockey graphs podcast it's been a a long time here but i'm happy to be here back in the middle of august bringing you another episode here with sean ferris on twitter at the sean ferris how you doing sean
1: I'm doing all right.
0: How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Um, you know, as, as you know, I'm a big Capitals fan, so I'm just—I've been enjoying all summer. This has been the best, the best summer of my life. Uh, <laughs> so you know, I'm a happy guy, and I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm happy to be talking some advanced statistics with you.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm ready for uh, the season to start. Um, only like a month and a half away now. Now that we're recording this in late August.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's really approaching us quickly. You know, players are are getting ready to come back, uh, come back. I'm going to say home, but come back to their their respective teams and uh, get things underway here as we uh, head into the season. And you know what that means when when the preseason's not that far away. It means that the the it used to be RIT Hack, uh, now it's RIT SAC, The Rochester Institute of Technology Sports Analytics Conference just happened a few weeks ago, and I, and I know you were up there and. Uh, I, I imagine you had a pretty good time, and we're going to be talking about some of the different presentations in that great conference.
1: Yeah, it was a blast. Um, met a lot of people, you know, that I've talked to on Twitter and whatever, that uh, I never got the chance to meet in person, um, so a lot of great presentations, and, and just got to know people, you know, outside of, like, their Twitter atmosphere, which is which was nice, and meet the Evolving Wild twins. I think that was, like, the highlight of my weekend.
0: Yeah, they definitely put a lot of good stuff out there, and uh, I don't know a lot about them, so that must have been really cool to kind of get to know them for sure. sure.
1: I mean, I wasn't quite sure if there were two, three, four, or five people, you know, (laughs) without actually meeting them in person first. I did not know if we're going to find out, you know, that Manny... uh, that uh, Manny Perry is actually uh, also a twin, uh, a triplet, if you will, with them, or or what was going on there, so it was uh, refreshing to meet, um, meet them and everybody else.
0: Yeah, it looks pretty cool, so l- let's focus a little bit on some of the, um, there were a few talks I think we wanted to talk about specifically, and, and they were all kind of along the same vein here, um, and they kind of focused in on microstats, and I, I don't know if you, who you wanted to start with, but... Um, when I was kind of looking through them, what I was sort I started thinking about was the work of kind of Eric Tolsky and, and Corey Schneider from a few years ago. Corey obviously being the great zone entry tracker that he is. Not even just zone entries, but, you know, he tracks everything, including passes and all this other stuff. But where do you want to start? Because uh, I don't want to kind of get off base here too quick.
1: Yeah, yeah, we could start with uh, Corey's presentation. Um, and, yeah, we were talking actually at lunch during the conference. And Corey, I've tracked quite a few uh, games uh, in my day, if you will. But Corey tracks games faster than I think it's humanly possible. <laughs> um, so we might have to check him, uh, check him out to see uh, if he's actually a human being after all. Because he, he could track a full game in, like, two hours. And I think it would take me, like, and I'm a fairly fast tracker. I think it would take me, like, around four hours, so extremely impressive. He does, and he does phenomenal work. Um, If anybody's listening um, here and already doesn't donate to his Patreon, um, I highly suggest it. Um, But yeah, no, so Corey presented on, like, the evolution of Mitchell's own play. So back in, what was it, 2013, 2014, he tracked the entire season, Um, and that was... um, that was inspired by Eric Tolsky's 2013 presentation at Sloan, right? So he kind of found out through Eric's presentation that zone entries and zone exits, you know, seemed to be important, and he wanted to get more data on it. And so he tracked the entire 2013-2014 um, season. And then from that, you know, people were doing work, and he found that – um there was a significant, significantly higher shot rate from carry-ins and dump-ins. Um, from that season, it was about 0.66 shots per carry-in, and 0.29 shots per dump-in. Um, but at that time, in the league carrying average was only 45 um, percent, I believe, 45.8 percent, and only five teams carried in more than 50 percent of the time. So um, he presented that um, teams have significantly improved upon um, their entry success. And that's probably from paying attention to Twitter and to pieces that people are putting out. Um, And the league carry-in average has significantly increased to, I believe it was 48% now. And more teams are, are trying to control the the zone a lot more.
0: Yeah, and that, that's kind of... It makes sense, and it kind of gets into that thing of diminishing returns, right, though? If teams all try to enter the zone with control more often, do we start seeing defensive shifts? Um, I mean, and we start talking a lot more about the defensive side of the game, right? We start talking about entry denials and how important uh, those can be. So I think it's it's going to be really... Uh, do you remember, did did Corey find that we still get the same amount of shot attempts from a controlled entry as we used to, or has there been a diminishing return on the effectiveness of those, or, or if failure rates are up or anything like that?
1: Um, I don't believe he mentioned anything about uh, shot rate and whether or not it's increased or decreased. Um, but a significant portion of his presentation was also on uh building off of ryan Stimson's work on passes or, or shot assists um after a controlled zone entry um and trying to sort of like fill in the blanks of what's happening after the entry because that's, that's obviously a very uh significant thing if you're controlling entries all day but shooting from the blue line as soon as you enter the zone Rather than creating dangerous scoring chances by, you know, a cross ice pass on on the rush, uh, you know, there's a very large difference there. And part of it we can pick up in expected goals, or not, you know, when we're talking about um, location. But you know, some of the, some of the benefits of looking at micro statistics is that we can't, we don't have this data available to us from the NHL. And so, being able to kind of fill in the pictures is sort of a goal from from microstats. And so, what trying to look into what happens within the zone, uh, especially do, uh, from shot assist, which he also tracks now. That Ryan Simpson started tracking that. What was that? Uh, I think he initially started tracking in 2014-15, and then he threw together the big project 2015-16. And so trying to fill in the blanks of what happens after the entry is kind of the next step.
0: Yeah. And um, I, if I recall correctly, Tolski's original work looked at the neutral zone, offensive zone and defensive zone. And then uh, he had found that the repeatability in the neutral zone was the highest. And that's why he focused on that in his work. So I think yeah. it's going to be interesting to see kind of if that holds true or if that's different or, uh, and all that sort of stuff. So I, I'm, I'm, you know, Corey has been great, and I've actually had him on um, my other podcast a couple times, Japer's Rink, so uh, I'm glad to see that he's still coming out with all this great work, and, and I enjoy looking at his stats throughout the season um, to see kind of who on the Capitals might be doing a bit better than I give them credit for, uh, both for zone entries and zone exits, and uh, I think that kind of segues nicely into CJ Turturro's presentation on the state of NHL microstats. Uh, what do you f- think about that one?
1: Um, I really enjoyed CJ's presentation um, where he, first of all, a lot of people um, are using his visualizations. I don't know if they even know, like, the person behind it. Um, but his visual, visualizations kind of got very popular um, this past season. It's the ones where you can see the percentiles of shot contributions, entries, exit, um, entry defense. And um, so he he put together a good presentation. Some of it was um, uh, introductory to microstats, you know, where we came from, um, where we're at, and and kind of where we're headed. Um, and he also looked into the stabilization um, of entries and exits, uh, because um, this is a very if they're not stable, if if we're looking, if they're purely descriptive, right, then there's really no point in looking at them where we want to be able to use these stats to find things out about a player, right? So they're they're useless if they never stabilize. And if one day our Tim Panarin's going to carry in a bunch of entries and he's very good at doing that, and then, you know, the next day he's really not, you know, you're always going to have variation, um, but you know, kind of where stabilizing, where things stabilize, and where you kind of have a clue of where a player's true ability is at uh, is pretty important. And it was also one of the reasons that Corsi 4 percentage back in the day was um, so useful is that it stabilizes and it becomes predictive um, at a much quicker rate than goals 4 percentage. Mm-hmm. Um, and so CJ found that these stats. Typically stabilize a lot quicker, to be honest with you. Um, And it was especially for defensemen, if I remember correctly, I'm going through the slides right now. Um, And he also looked at chassis as well. And they stabilize a lot quicker, um, you know, whether or not that's really going to help, one, with evaluation how to apply that um, is kind of um, a complicated issue, if you will. Um, But also he used a somewhat smaller sample size um, because he needed to test out with forwards and defensemen um, who would play the significant amount of time under Corey's tracking. Um, And so, you know, he kind of had the warning of, of keep it lightly and also, these things stabilize differently across teams. So how much systems are affecting um, these results is also a question. Um, And and he kind of proposed, you know, what's next and, you know, location data is something that is, has been hinted at, you know, whether or not the NHL is gonna provide this soon or not. uh but you know Ryan Stimson has been looking into a lot of things with his shot assist numbers um and, and all that good stuff
0: yeah uh, and i think it's kind of i don't know it it's the the stabilization factor is really interesting right um it kind of peaks in the same place that we see the peaks for um shot attempts, actually, I guess it's a bit quicker for defensemen. But for forwards, it kind of looks like it's along the same path, but the uh, the the correlation's a lot higher, right, for both of those, for controlled entries mm-hmm. and controlled entry percent, which I think is kind of interesting. But uh, I guess if you don't pair controlled entries with, with passing data, wouldn't you kind of, I mean, the original value of controlled entries was that it drives shot attempts, right? Isn't that kind of what we initially mm-hmm. said? So it's like a correlation to the thing that we use to determine shot attempts and we use shot attempts to determine what's going to eventually become future goals so kind of i mean you kind of already talked about it relative to Corey's project but like what kind of role do we need to see here to kind of take it to the next step to make sure that we're getting where we need to go which is an even better way to get to future goals than just flat out looking at shot attempts
1: yeah, I think, you know, part of what we're hoping for in the future is, is to have this data provided to us. Yeah. I think a lot of the benefits, I think there's kind of, in a, in a way, two paths that these kind of things take. And, you know, part of it is you want to look at – you want to dissect the different parts of the game, right? So it, the transition game is one part of the game, forechecking checking, everything like that. That way, you know, you could tell a coach – or a player, if you will, um, you know, where this player is successful and where this player is struggling. Um, whereas if we want to get better uh, models or understanding of a player's true value, we want to probably tie this into, um, like our expected goals and, and things like that or more models. And I think this could, and I was talking with the twins about this, I believe a couple of weeks ago, about how zone entries could be used uh, in an expected goals model. Um, One, because we can know um, when rush shots are occurring, right now we're kind of just, they're a factor and we're estimating, Um, but we could put in like an entry occurred, yada yada per uh, seconds prior to a shot. Um, And that might have a significant factor on, on expected shooting percentage and then also you know adding in passes afterwards and whatnot
0: and also you know
1: you could use that that data you know to kind of isolate um you know where your shots are actually coming from and kind of understanding um very specifically where you're succeeding in the offensive zone right so like if you're shooting early or if you're shooting late and different things like that so i think there's a lot of descriptive things that can come from them. Um, and I think more or less, you know, coaching stats and players are interested in the micro stats. Whereas if you're building a model and wanting to understand um, a player's true value, you're going to have marginal returns when it comes to micro stats.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely can agree with that. And I think it makes a lot more sense um, when we see stuff like, um, for example, like when Barry Trots came to the Capitals, you, you, it was, it was interesting to see kind of what he'd done in Nashville, what their systems were like, how, you know, and Corey says this in his presentation too, it was that he's found that um, largely, you know, zone entries, they they can be tied to a system. There are some systematic effects there. Um, so I think mm-hmm. it's also interesting kind of dissecting play style. And when we talk about play style, that, that leads to, to Ian uh, Tullock's presentation about transitional playing styles for NHL defensemen. Um, which ties in pretty nicely with a project that I had uh, uh, Ryan Stimson on here. Got I don't even know how long ago talking about which was his groupings for um, different player types. So, um, what do you think of Ian's presentation, and, and what do you learn about an NHL defenseman?
1: Yeah, Ian's presentation was the presentation to start out the day. Uh, so Ian had a lot of a lot of pressure on him, and then also he's trying to you know kind of build off of, of like you said something that Ryan had done with playing styles. And so Ryan's work with playing styles was specifically on, uh, specifically from shot assists, right? Um, Whereas Ian, he split up defensemen into four different categories, which were offensive defensemen, uh, two-way defensemen, defensive defensemen, and dependent defensemen, um, which is also Purposely similar to the NHL video games that um, I'm sure uh, many of our listeners know and probably <laughs> love. Um, they've caused me a lot of frustration. But um, So anyway, a, two-way defenseman is, is a defenseman um, by Ian who is good at zone exits or above league average um, in zone exits and also in zone denials. Uh Offensive defenseman is good at zone exits and poor niles defensive defenseman's poor at zone exits, but good at denials so and then dependent is poor at both or, or below, good and poor were below and above average. Um. And in this, and so he found that, um, he found that two way defensemen always play, or two way defensemen play better with two way defensemen and also offensive defense, and you kind of start to see um, the results finish when they play with defensive, independent defensemen, and that's theoretically the the theme throughout. And, and it kind of makes sense. You want to be able to exit the zone, and you also want to be able to play good defense. Um, but you know, he kind of found that offensive defensemen were a little bit um, more. Uh, they'd always have better results than the defensive defensemen. Yeah. So the two-way defensemen the the peak you know you want to be up there but if not you want to be better at um zone exits and then you know zone denials you know player that's good at zone denials is kind of below that and then dependent defenseman as you would have assumed always kind of plays pretty bad (laughs) well
0: you know i thought i thought it was kind of interesting because um you know he put out some kind of who was the best at these different categories and for the large part I thought it all kind of passed the sniff test, which is you know, I, I think it makes it a bit easier for people to kinda of look at it and say, Hey, that makes sense. This is something I can get behind like and and granted, not you don't want your data analysis to always just kind of confirm whatever bias you're going into it with. But but you'd want it to not have stuff that's so outrageous that, you know, you gotta say, Well, either I'm really wrong on my preconceived notions or Uh, You know, I'm kind of into something here, and I might find players that do all these things well that these other great players do well that I might not have recognized before. Um, So that was kind of Mm -hmm. a really interesting thing um, about this presentation.
1: I think, you know, some of it also is, I believe uh, Micah uh, McCurdy found, I don't remember when exactly this was, but that offense was more important than defense, and I think that that kind of got some that surprised some people. I think, you know, because the old saying is "defense wins championships." Um, it, when that's not exactly true, I think you know it bothers some people. Mm-hmm. But you know, the problem with defense is even if a player is very solid defensively, defense is this is only about for the most part is more about positioning than anything. Right. And you rely on your other four teammates a lot more than you do when you have the puck yourself. Right. So when you have the puck, you have control of the game. And although you're also reliant on your four uh, teammates to create passing lanes for you um, and do all these other things, it's a lot easier to control your own destiny when you actually have the puck on your stick. Right. So, a defenseman who can effectively exit the zone is going to be able to control the number the amount of shot attempts he'll give up a lot easier than if he's really good at denying the play or denying controlled zone entries right in in player chips cast and his defenseman or um his uh third floor checking forward um you know can't help him out and that team, you know, his opposing team recovers and is able to to set up in the offensive zone and fire away, you know, even though a player played the zone entry properly, you know, he kinda of just it doesn't really show in the results.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's that that's all well put and stuff that I, I really hope that we can continue to see more data as I mean the the one thing about microstats is that you know the data size you know cory does such a great job pulling all this stuff together but we still need more right so uh yeah what, what sort of projects do you see in in the in the near future as uh the nhl i know it, we're i i don't expect to see any sort of microstats published by the nhl until after the next uh lockout oh i i, I mean cba <laughs> negotiations and uh, even then, it sounds like the players are actually against it because uh, either a lack of understanding or, or they think it'll be used against them. But um, what do you see on their horizon, and what do you have personally planned to kind of help us get that data?
1: Yeah. So when it comes to the NHL releasing data, um, yeah, I don't. I'm not I'm not too optimistic either, um, and part of that is it's like you said, like the NHL Players Association probably not wanting to um, allow this data to be publicized or or to even like spread out to the teams. And I think that kind of goes, you know, the Players Association is really more or less to represent veteran players. You know, helping players get into league and taking other players' jobs is, is probably not the greatest for them. And also, I think there's, there's a lot of ways we can even go wrong when it comes to getting the data. You know, if we find certain things to be extremely important all of a sudden now that we have this new data, then we find out later that, you know, we're all wrong and now players have been losing their jobs. Um, You know, I don't think that's, that's really something that the players association really wants to, to let happen. Right. They're, they're, they want to keep their clients jobs. I mean, and, and that goes, and there's, there's a fear that, you know, a lot of players will lose their jobs when I, I don't really think that's necessarily reality. Um, but I think that's, you know, risk aversion there. Um, and when, when it comes to, you know, what I hope to do, I, I tried to have a project that they called, uh, I tried to have a project, T the T project, uh, rush developed an application we presented on it at vancouver hockey analytics conference um in march i believe that was um and we opened a project which was hoping for the summer um in april and we had about 80 people sign up and it kind of failed and part of the reason it sort of failed was we were going to track all of the corey tracks but we're going to track it with location data which is is one of the things that we hope to get. Um, And the problem with that is to manually track all these events that Corey's tracking with location data, it probably takes about six to eight hours, I would say, to track an individual game. So a lot of people started tracking and they kind of quit once they realized how long it would actually take. Um, Because it takes about an hour to track, you know, 10 minutes. And once they get, you know, through a full hour and they don't see the end in sight, uh, many of them quit. And so I'm hoping this year to run a new project, but it'll have, it'll be significantly shorter. Um, it's only going to be special teams. Um, and we're going to focus on passing chains. So I'm hoping the tracking time will go down from like six to eight hours to about half an hour. Um, And the goal is to get a full season of special teams uh, passing chains recorded and study it from there and hopefully have um, presentation and and different articles on on that data and studying that.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of excited to see where you're kind of able to to take things, Sean. Is there anything that you would like our – you know, our listeners to to contact you about or, or uh you know, how how can they get involved uh, again in the future as you look for for new and different things?
1: Yeah, so if any of our listeners are interested in actually going ahead and tracking, uh they could shoot me a, a DM on Twitter, uh, again at D Sean Ferris is, is my um is my tag. Um but yeah I'm I'm not looking for as many volunteers as much. It's not about quantity as much as it is about quality. So, you know, you're up for, you know, say two, two hours a week of tracking your favorite teams, you know, special teams shots. Then, then, um, I'd love to, to have you track.
0: Well, I think it's going to be some great stuff, Sean. I'm, I'm really looking forward to looking at it. So, um, I know I appreciate it. I'm sure a lot of other people do, too. Uh, Sean, do you do you have anything else you want to touch on? I know there's a lot of hot-button topics going around in the hockey analytics world right now, but uh, sometimes it feels better to kind of stay away from them, so I'll let that be your call.
1: Yeah, you know, I don't really want to touch on the uh, war wars that are going on uh, right now. Um, seems to be, you know, some nasty stuff going on, but at least we made it till August. Um <laughs> But um I'll definitely say that I'm really happy that Ryan simpson back to running. Yep. Um and he had you know an interesting post the other day on, on floor checking which, you know, kinda of built off our conversation that we just had about, you know, zone exits. Um, you know, and he kinda of went through and found that uh opposing teams that had a lower opposing uh zone exit per, uh controlled zone exit percentage had a significantly higher rate of goals four per 60. Um and he's he says he has plenty of ideas that he's gonna continue listen, uh continue writing about um and looking into and so I'm definitely excited about that when we're talking about Michael's dad.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh Ryan's work is, is always good and, and Ryan's been on about I think about a quarter of these podcasts for the hockey crafts. So uh and he
1: started his own podcast I which, know. which uh they ended up stopping obviously Dawson got hired and uh and you know Ryan doesn't have time now with two children. Yeah. Um you know, so it was tough. But that was always an interesting interesting podcast between the 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 three of them, asma being the third. Yeah. Um but no, I mean, I guess I'll get back to the war wars um, once we get off this podcast. But <laughs> taking a, taking a slight break from it.
0: No, no, I'm I'm glad I'm able to help you out with a little reprieve here, and and I want to thank you again <laughs> again for coming on and uh, and and you know helping me uh, get another episode out there. So thanks again, Sean. I Really appreciate it.
1: You're not a problem. Always a pleasure.
0: Alright, on behalf of myself, Adam Stringham, and Sean Ferris, thank you for listening to this episode of the Hockey Graphs Podcast.